Pastor Xavier Reese and a simple test of salvation. By this baptism, we bear witness of God's Spirit as He bears witness in our spirit that we're His children, Romans 8:16. Paul tells us that God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There is the greatest evidence of your baptism into the body of Jesus Christ, that the Holy Spirit keeps you in check. It reproves you, it rebukes you, it refines you, it transforms you, it comforts you, it strengthens you, it speaks to you. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. Race and social standing have always been active ingredients for discord, and unfortunately the church is no exception. Today, Pastor Xavier addresses this issue and offers a biblical perspective on how the church should function properly. To do that, he takes us back to the book of Ephesians and some specific reasons Paul gives for a unified body of Christ. And we'll be picking up the list right where we left off last time. The message is entitled, Why Should We Walk as One? Paul now gives to them seven reasons why they should walk worthy of the unity of the Holy Spirit. Fourth reason, because there is one Lord. One Lord. First of all, the word Lord is kurios. It signifies power and authority. It is a title. The word is used of a master and slave relationship in Matthew 10, 24. The word is used of an owner and employer in Luke 16, 3. The word is used of a wise relationship to her husband in 1 Peter 3, 6. The word is used of a superior for respect and courtesy in Matthew 13, 27. All of these are to be seen in relationship to us and Christ. He is our master. He has bought us. He has engaged us to himself. He's our husband. He is our superior who commands our respect. I think today people do not respect the Lord. Everything is real informal. I think to an extreme. And yet we are an informal congregation. We're not caught up that you have to wear a suit and a tie. You can come in with shorts, long hair, short hair, no hair. Suit, tie, it doesn't matter to us. We care about your heart. But even in that type of environment and atmosphere, there is respect to the Lord Jesus Christ because he's Lord. Secondly, the word Lord, kurios, is equivalent to the Old Testament Adonai, which appears in the Old Testament with a capital L, small o, small r, small d. Whenever you see it all capitals, it's the title of the name covenant name Yahweh. When it's capital L, small r, small o, small r, small d, it's Adonai, equivalent to this Greek word kurios. Adonai delivered Israel from Egypt, so Jesus is the only Lord who has delivered us in salvation. Acts 4.12 says there's no other name given under heaven earth where we must be saved. Adonai led the Israelites out of Egypt through the wilderness into the promised land. And so Jesus is the only way to the Father. Jesus said in John 14, 6, I am the way. Adonai mediated through Moses and the high priest. And so Jesus is the only mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's Lord, 1 Timothy 2, 5. Now notice thirdly that the word kurios is used regarding Jesus as the supreme Lord of all men. 
The pastor is not our Lord, but a servant of the Lord. Now, appreciate your pastor, pray for him, and if you're coming because God is using him to teach you, fine, but have your eyes on the Lord, not the man. If you and I confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe we shall be saved, Romans 10, 9 says. This can only be done by the one spirit. God has highly exalted the name of Jesus. Every knee shall bow, every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. So we are to walk in unity because there is one Lord. Fifth reason, beginning verse 5, because there is one faith. First of all, the word faith is used of teaching doctrine through the scriptures. The word faith means a conviction of truth of anything in the New Testament, conviction respecting anything in relationship to God or the things of God. Generally, it would include the idea of trust with whole, holy fervor, born of faith, joined with the word. And you find that throughout the New Testament, it's used like that. Jude tells us that we are to contend earnestly for the faith which was once and for all given or delivered to the saints. Jude 3. It's used that way there. So we know that the word faith is used for doctrine. In the context, it'll be evident. But the word here, secondly, is used to speak of a person. The person of Jesus Christ for salvation as Lord. The word faith appears eight times in the epistle here. Six times it refers to the person of Jesus Christ. Two times it refers to being faithful and trusting what Jesus has promised by his spirit. All the other times it's used of the person of Jesus Christ in the epistle. Now faith must have an object and that faith is only as good as its object. Our faith is not in a movement, it's not in a pastor, it's not in results, it's in the person of Jesus Christ. The word faith is not just the mere fact of saying, I have faith, I believe. People always say that. Faith has to be based on the Bible. It's always based on biblical revelation, his word, if it's biblical faith. Faith that is based apart from Scripture, it is not biblical faith at all. Tradition and superstition is not faith. Mind over matter is not faith. Only what is revealed in Scripture and you act upon it is faith, biblical faith. And then God would give you, by the grace of God, the faith to believe. Faith that is biblical is a way of life, not mere belief that is divorced from practice. Jesus said, I am the way. The church was first called those on the way. Then they were called Christians afterwards. The first time they were called Christians at Antioch. Jesus says, deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me. How you doing? You know, it's like the man that was going across Niagara Falls in a tight wire and he had a wheelbarrow. And he's going across, before he goes across, he says, you guys believe I can get across? They go, oh, yeah, across on both sides, yeah. So he goes across, he gets to the other side. Whole crowd there cheering him on. He says, do you think I can do it again? They go, oh, yeah. He looks down to the man in front and says, do you believe I can do it again? Says, yeah, he says, get in the wheelbarrow. <laughs> There's a difference between believing and getting in the wheelbarrow. Some of you have never gotten in the wheelbarrow. You're in the crowd saying, yeah, I believe. By this one faith, we believe that the person of Jesus is God incarnate. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and God was the Word. The Word became flesh, and we beheld His glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 1, 1, 1, 14. 
By this one faith, we believe that all of our sins have been blotted out and forgiven. We'll never have to give an account of them. Psalm 103, 12 says, as far as east as the west. Micah says, buried in the deepest ocean. By this one faith, we believe that God has begun this good work and he will perform it to the day of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 6 says. By this one faith, we believe that Jesus enables us and counts us faithful when he puts us into ministry. 2 Timothy 1, 12. Paul says, who's sufficient for these things? Not us, it's Christ. What do you have that you have not received? And if you have received it, why are you boasting? By this one faith, we believe that Jesus is going to remove his church before he pours out his wrath on a godless world. Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are to walk in unity because there is one faith. But notice the sixth reason. Because there is one baptism. Now, first of all, the baptism speaks of identification. John the Baptist was baptizing all who came out in the Jordan unto repentance for the forgiveness of sins in Matthew 3, 5 through 6. The practice was unheard of for the Jew. You baptize proselyte, Gentiles that proselyte into Judaism. You never baptize the Jew. John objected when Jesus came to him and asked him to baptize him. He didn't want to. He says, I have need that you baptize me. He says, do it to fulfill all righteousness. Matthew 3.15. You see, Jesus was being baptized by John because he was identifying himself with sinful man in his place. And for that reason, John said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sins of the world. John 1, 29 on down. Jesus commanded water baptism at the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19. Now, secondly here, the baptism here is thought to be water by some, perhaps even most. I'm not sure. But water is no evidence of salvation. Think with me. Nor is it the basic or basis of unity as the other six that we're examining. All the other six are supernatural. This is the only ritual if it's water. So I myself believe that it's not water that he's talking about. Water baptism cannot forgive sins, 1 Peter 3.21 tells us. It just makes you a wet sinner if you haven't repented. Water is a public confession of what has happened in your heart already. Going down in the type of death and coming up in the newness of life. Resurrection, Romans 6, 1 through 7. Some declare that if you are not baptized, you're not saved. Not so. Colossians 2, 9 and 10 says, In him you're complete, in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Jesus, period, nothing else. Jesus at the cross says it is finished, period. Don't let anybody add anything to the salvation of Christ by faith. We are commanded to water baptize, but it does not complete or finish salvation. Paul said that he had not baptized any except for a couple of Gaius and a couple other guys. And besides that, he didn't know who else he baptized in the house of Stephanus. And he says, for God did not call me to baptize, but to preach. Now, if baptism is a requirement for salvation, then Paul spoke heresy. 1 Corinthians 1, 14 through 17. Am I speaking against water baptism? No, we do it. But it doesn't complete your salvation. If you get saved and you don't get to get water baptized and you die, do you go to heaven? Absolutely. 
It is finished, Christ said. So thirdly here then, the baptism here refers to the Holy Spirit. John said, I baptize you with water, but there is one among you whose shoelaces are not worthy to loosen. He shall baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, Matthew 3.11. Paul told the Corinthians, for by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12.13. Drink of one spirit. It's not outward. It's something in you. When you get water baptized, if you keep your mouth open, you might get a little water. But it's talking about spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is for power, Acts 1.8 says. Tarry in Jerusalem till you be endued with power from on high. The baptism of the Spirit is evident by the fruit of the Spirit, agape love, Galatians 5.22. Paul tells us that God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. There is the greatest evidence of your baptism into the body of Jesus Christ that the Holy Spirit keeps you in check. It reproves you, it rebukes you, it refines you, it transforms you, it comforts you, it strengthens you. It speaks to you. By this baptism, we understand the deep things of God, 1 Corinthians 2.10 says, by the Spirit of God, not by our intellect. By this baptism, we bear witness of God's Spirit as He bears witness in our spirit that we're His children, Romans 8.16. By this baptism, we are able to go to warfare, Ephesians 6.10, finally, my brother, be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Then he says, put on the whole armor of God. By this baptism, we have all received an anointing, and we need no man teach us. The Holy Spirit turns on the light, 1 John 2.20. That is not speaking against pastors, because pastors are used as instruments, but who turns the light on? It's the Holy Spirit who makes the word alive as I speak. And you could be thinking of something else. You could be in another place. But God's spirit goes forth and it convicts you and it directs you and it turns on the light. We are to walk in unity because there is one baptism. One left. Seventh, perfect number. Perfect unity. It is for the simple reason that there is one God and Father of all. Notice first Every believer recognizes there is one God and Father of all. No Jew would ever address God as his Father. I challenge you to find it in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, God as Father is found only in his relationship with the people of Israel as a nation. Never to any individual as one with God in general. Never. The phrase, my Father is found only two times in the Old Testament. And it is not uttered by an individual to God. But it is uttered as a prayer for the chosen people. Let me give you the two places. Jeremiah 3.4 and 3.19. Nowhere else will you find it in the Old Testament. And it's to the nation, not to the individual. The term father saturates the New Testament for the believer in Christ as the father of the new birth. Read the holy of holiest prayer, John 17. Father, glorify thou me with the glory which I had before the world was. And Father, as I pray for these that you have given to me, and not only them, but those who will believe through them, my father and your father, I will send to the father. I came to take, bring you to the father. The New Testament is saturated. That's never a theme 
or of even a thought in the Old Testament. What a privilege. But secondly, every believer recognizes the unity of God in the Trinity, the God and Father. The doctrine is taught throughout the Scriptures. You will never find the word Trinity. You'll never find it. Put your concordance down. <laughs> in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. The word God is Elohim. In the Hebrew, anything that H ends with an H-I-M is plural. El is one. Ella two. Elohim, a compound unity, three or more. Guess what? First verse of Genesis, the Trinity's there. In Genesis 1.26, the Trinity had a conversation. Let us make man in our image. Do you think God was talking to horny tails and lizards? <laughs> the Shema of Israel in Deuteronomy 6.4. The Lord our God is one. And the Hebrew word is a compound unity of one. There is an absolute one single one. That is not the word that is used. Nebuchadnezzar said this as he saw the three Hebrew children go down into the fire furnace. And I see a fourth as the Son of God. Daniel 3, 2. The Trinity is throughout the Old Testament. Those are just samples. All three are God. Paul declares the Father to be God in 1 Corinthians 8, 5. The Father declares the Son to be God in Hebrews 1, 8. Peter declares the Holy Spirit to be God in Acts 5, 3 through 4. The Trinity is throughout the New Testament and it's throughout this epistle. Now notice thirdly, every believer recognizes that God is above all. Above all. He is transcendent and supreme to everything and every person. Isaiah says that, I am the Lord and there is no other, there is no God beside me. Isaiah 45.5. A repeated theme from chapter 40 on. No one else besides him. He is all-powerful and makes the power available to us to accomplish what he asks us to do. He's already told us in chapter 1, verse 19 through 21. Above all principalities and powers and mights and dominions, every name above every name, in this age, the age to come, so on and so forth. He sits as king forever, Psalm 29, 10 says. One day, everything will be put under his feet, but we don't see it as of yet, 1 Corinthians 15, 28 says. One day it will be. But notice fourth and last here, every believer recognizes God's sovereignty. Don't miss it. To work through all. To work through all. The believer is God's handiwork. He's already told us that in chapter 2, verse 10. His poem, his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good work. When were they created? Before the foundation of the world. Beforehand. You've got to line yourself up, God. What would you have me to do? The words of Paul right out of his mouth at the, Emmaus, at the road there at Damascus Road. What has God called you to do? What have you been doing for Christ? God saved me 25 years ago. What have you been doing for Christ in terms of what he's called you to do? Let me tell you, your gift is not sitting. I can tell you that. It is not a gift. It's a mark of disobedience. The unbeliever is used by God as he wills. Even as he calls Cyrus, my anointed, in Isaiah 45. A non-believer, can you believe that? The nerve of God using non-believers. The creation is his signature, Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. Day unto day and night unto night. 
Listen, the wrath of man glorifies God. Psalm 76.10 says, even the wrath of man glorifies God. Fifth and last. Every believer recognizes that God is in all believers. That's the last part right there. Our bodies are the temple of the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 6.19 told us that. Our access is by one Spirit. We've seen that in Ephesians 1.18. And God has put this treasure in this earthen vessel that the power and the excellency may be of God and not of ourselves. 2 Corinthians 4.7. On down. As believers, we acknowledge the unity of the Trinity and trust the transcendency of God by faith. Not because I understand it by my brain. It's my brain that got me in trouble. <laughs> and yet there are many things that are, are, are very logical, and I understand them, but God is beyond our minds. As believers, we know that as God and Father, He is faithful, compassionate, caring, and aware of all things, and He's called a faithful creator by Peter in 1 Peter 4.19. So we are to commit ourselves to Him in our sufferings as a faithful creator. How are you doing? Remember, life has spring, that's great. Summer, warm, but then comes autumn, then winter. You may find yourself in winter. Well, hang on. Spring's around the corner. Don't quit. And if you join the sun, better buy a coat because winter's coming. As believers, we know that he is God and Father the Father of all comfort, 2 Corinthians 1.3. All comfort, whatever you ever go through, He's the God of all comfort. As believers, we know that as God and Father, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does as He wills in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain His hand or say to Him, What have you done? Daniel 4.35. Nebuchadnezzar's words. After he gained his sanity. After some seasons. As believers, we know that as God and Father, he is able to use a prophet's donkey to rebuke the man and a pagan king, Cyrus, to build his temple. He can use people as his instruments whenever he wants, wherever he wants, and who he wants. You have objections to that? As believers, we know that as God and Father, he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that works in us, Ephesians 3.20. Is this being true in your life? Don't compare yourself among yourselves or by yourselves. You measure yourself to Christ. What has he called you to do? What's he doing in your life? Are you in the church? Are you part of the solution or part of the problem? Are you pressing towards a mark to maturity, to be one in Christ? We are to walk in unity because... There is one God and Father. And so, as Paul has offered us these seven reasons, the number of completeness, I, as your pastor, give you these seven reasons why we should walk in the unity as oneness here. If you feel God's in this, then jump in the wagon. Let's go for it. If not, the Lord bless you. See where God has you to go, and then get in and jump in and get busy about the kingdom, and I'll see you in heaven. But listen, people are going to hell. Jesus is coming. I hope you come with us. I hope God uses you. And so, the seven reasons why we should walk as one in the unity worthy of our call. We are one body. We have one spirit. 
we have one hope, we have one Lord, we have one faith, we have one baptism, we have one God and Father. Man, do we need any other reason? What we lack is the will to be one. Won't you be willing? Pastor Xavier Reese and the reason for unity among Christians. And this completes the teaching on why should we walk as one. And you can pick up a copy of the complete unedited message on CD for only $4. And this will also include what Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together. So once again, the title to request is, Why Should We Walk as One? Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please be sure to mention the call letters of this station somewhere in your correspondence. This is helpful when we check on the impact of this outreach in your area. How do you know if someone's saved? Find out when you tune in to the next edition of Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese. Be sure and tune in. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com